And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. Paul Kangor. It's been a long time, and he is the professor of political science at Grove City College, also executive director of the Institute for Faith and Freedom at Grove. Uh, Dr. Kangor, thank you so much for taking your precious time and joining us today. Oh, well, you're too kind, Dan, and thank you. It's good to be with you again. <laughs> you know, there's a lot going on, obviously, right now in the world. Um, one of the big topics is uh, Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, some people know a lot about Russia. I know almost nothing about it, I've realized. And it's a long, complicated history. Uh, I guess maybe one of the first questions I have, Dr. Kangor, um, we look at Russia and we see them see the influence of communism. Uh, we think of Marx and, and Lenin uh, and, and Stalin, all that. And were they always communist? Well, you know, it is a complicated history, Dan. Winston Churchill famously said, I cannot forecast for you the future of Russia. Mm. Russia is a riddle wrapped inside a mystery, inside an enigma. Mm. So so that is, um, it, it, it's always been like this. It, it's, it's, a, it's a strange country, very old country. Before the Bolsheviks took over in 1917 with their revolution, that October, November 1917, the Romanov family ruled Russia for over 300 years. Mm. And, you know, that, yeah, that's just one among a number of different Russian dynasties. But the Romanovs, the, the, the last czar, was Tsar Nicholas II. And he ruled from, this is off the top of my head, but I want to say, I think he was born in um, 1868, I believe, and took over around 1894. He, he abdicated the throne in March of 1917, which was a very unselfish, magnanimous gesture that he did, because he thought that that's what it would require for his country to persevere in World War I. Mm. And, and, and Russia, that turned out not to be true. In fact, Richard Pipes, the great Harvard historian of, of Russian history, said that it, it's never ceased to amaze him how after the Tsar's abdication, the whole thing just quickly fell apart, yes. as if the whole thing was held together by bailing wire, and somebody snapped the wire, and that was it. Oh, and so, yeah, and, and Russia was would have been on the winning side of World War One, would have been on our side. Um, we came in in April 1917, so we were both on the same side for a while. We came in late. Um, we finished. We helped win the war. We lost about 110,000 people, America did, in World War One. The Russians, by contrast, Dan, lost 3.5 million people. Oh, my. 3.5 million in World War One, more than any other country, and they didn't get the fruits of victory. They were pulled out of the war by the Bolsheviks, so they got the Bolsheviks. In fact, immediately after World War One. Russia fell into a civil war, 1918 to 1921, and there, according to the historian W. Bruce Lincoln, about 7 million Russian men, women, and children were killed. Mm. About 7 million. And so that's the battle between the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. Bolsheviks won. And so once again, I, I, I feel bad for the Russian people. You know, they, they end up with no fruits of victory, 
something far worse, these communist dictators who over the next decades would kill tens of millions of their own citizens, first Lenin, then Stalin, um, Alexander Yakovlev, who was Mikhail Gorbachev's chief reformer and was given the job at the end of the Cold War of trying to count the skulls and, and, and tabulate the number of people hmm. killed under communism in his country. He said that Stalin alone annihilated 60 to 70 million people. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it, it, it's off the charts. Even more conservative figures like the Black Book of Communism, the Harvard University Press book, uh-huh. that says 25 million dead under communism. And, and while I'm giving you these numbers, this isn't even including the World War II deaths mm. for, for, for the Soviet Union, which were probably at least about 27 million. Oh, my. And, and that, yeah, people listening, you're hearing that correctly. That would be, I mean, World War II, maybe 50, 60, 70 million people died in total. It's quite possible that half of them came from the Soviet Union alone. Mm. And to give you just one more statistic, so 27 million Soviets died in World War II. About 400,000 Americans died in World War II. Wow. About 400,000 Brits died in World War II. So you've got to take American deaths, British deaths, add them up, and then multiply them by a factor of 30, 35 to get anywhere close to the number of people that the Russians lost, the Soviets lost in World War II. And, and of course, that's followed by, what, uh, almost another decade of Joe Stalin, yeah. and then Nikita Khrushchev. And I'll give you just one more statistic. This is a Christian show. People listening will appreciate this. You can't leave this out of the body count. Russia, Soviet Russia, communist Russia, was the first to legalize abortion. Oh, yes. 24-7, yep, 1920. Uh, Lenin had called in 1913 for the unconditional annulment of all laws against abortion. The country saw abortion rates and numbers, unlike any in human history, to the point where by the 1970s, and this is amazing, this is according to official Soviet statistics, uh, Soviet women were we're doing about 7 million abortions per year. Mm. 7 million per year in the 1970s. Wow. So hundreds of millions of, of children in the Soviet Union were killed in the womb. So there has been nothing, no people in the last 100 years that have known death like the Russian Soviet people and I say all of this as an instructive point right now with what's going on with Russia and the Ukraine. For, for people who say, wow, you know, the Russians are really, they're, they're losing a lot of people in the Ukraine. They have 15,000, 20,000 troops. It's only a matter of time here before Putin says enough is enough. Yeah. No, 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 no. They always lose. Like, they are accustomed to this culture of death. And somebody like Vladimir Putin, who came out of the KGB, um, I think he's undeterred at all. And, and, and if anything, this is just going to make him dig in even more, become even more desperate, and I think could make him even more dangerous. You know, um, something just prompt, 
um, popped into my mind, and it's the question, why now? Um, with the Ukraine and Russia, um, you know, the, our prior presidency certainly was Trump, and we had a lot of good policies, frankly, in my opinion, under Trump. Um, why now? Why would, why would Putin wait until now to, to invade Ukraine? Well, it's a, it's a fair question. And, you know, look, Ronald Reagan said that, that he said the Russians respect strength, not weakness. Hmm. And he said, if you were going to approach the Russians with a, with a dove of peace in one hand, you better have a sword in the other. Yes. And, and, and the Russians, they, they prey on weakness. And, and, and somebody like Vladimir Putin, who, who's the ultimate Russian modern-day strongman, authoritarian, uh, again, KGB, lieutenant colonel in the KGB, he preys on weakness. Right, pray, P R E Y, right? Mm-hmm. Not praying like like we do at the <laughs> Redeemer Broadcasting, right? Yeah, yeah, praying on 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 people's weaknesses. Yeah. So so Putin, I think, looked at this and and and, and look, we could do a very easy timeline. Barack Obama, twenty twelve, sits down with Dmitry Medvedev, who was then president of of Russia, and then Putin at that point was prime minister although he was really in charge. And, and Obama says, to, uh, in, a, in an open mic moment that he doesn't know about, says to Medvedev, hey, I'll have more flexibility after the election. And Medvedev smiled, right? I remember that. That's right. And Medvedev grinned kind of ghoulishly, right? right and said, oh, very good. I will tell Vladimir. Oh, my. And, and he did. Yeah, he told <laughs> Vladimir. And, and it was two years after that, 2014, about a year after Obama was inaugurated for a second term, that Putin did what was then the unthinkable. He invaded the Crimea. Uh. And, and, and we all thought, well, well boy, was, could he possibly go any further in the Ukraine? Mm-hmm. And honestly, Dan, I didn't think he would. And, and for four years under Trump, he completely behaved himself. Yes. Now, for whatever reason, right? For whatever reason, okay? Uh, you hate Trump, okay? You, you love Trump, okay? I'm just telling you that during those four years, he behaved himself. He put the pause button on. Mm-hmm. And then here we are in 2022, and I think I did your show probably around this time on this issue, when, 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 when Biden pulled out of Afghanistan in the manner that he did, with the weakness that he showed, yes. we said, right, we said, you know, people like Putin who has his eyes on Crimea and Ukraine, oh, yeah. they're going to look at this weakness, right? People like Xi in China with Taiwan, they're going to look at it. Don't be surprised if they act. Well, not only did Putin act, Putin has invaded the entire Ukraine, even even Kiev. He's gone into the capital of Kiev. So if we're constructing a timeline here, right? 2014, he takes the Crimea under President Obama and Vice President Biden. Um, completely hits the pause button under Trump. And then in 2022, uh, 2022, he's back again, this time in all of Ukraine under Biden. Yeah. And I, I don't think you can take away the fact that, like Reagan said, they respect strength, not weakness. Yeah. They prey on weakness. And they really do. Yeah, no question. Uh, well, this is fascinating and, and sadly fascinating. Today our guest is Dr. Paul Kangor from Grove City College. Russia. We're learning a little bit about Russia, and it 
it sounds like they have the people of Russia have endured massive amount of casualties and bloodshed over many years, and yet, um, Doctor Kangor, I know that there's there's a number of Christian people who live in Russia. Um, their hearts must be broken. Yeah, I think so, Dan. In fact, the you know, that that litany of of death that I went through there a couple minutes ago. Yeah, I remember talking to. Um, Jan Vignetsky, and I wrote a piece on this for American Spectator, and I think it's up at our Institute for Faith and Freedom website, faithandfreedom.com. Jan Vignetsky was a Polish member of the Solidarity Movement, and he spoke at Grove City College about 20 years ago, and he was going through the tragic history of how Russians, the Soviets, had assaulted his beloved home country of Poland, and I remember asking him at the at the end of the talk, I, I, I said, Jan, I got to ask you, do, do you do you hate the Russian people for this? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I feel only sadness yes. for the Russian people. He, he said, I know no people who've suffered like the Russian people. He said, no, only mercy and sadness for the Russian people. Yes. And that's really true. This, this is a country... That um, you know, when Tsar Nicholas left, this was one of the most religious countries um, in, in, in all of Europe, Asia. In fact, it, you know, going into Asia, that it, which the Soviet Union covered twelve time zones, it, it, there was no more religious country than Russia. Isn't that and, something? And it, yeah, and, 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 that's where you know, you're looking at this from a Christian perspective, the devil takes. Not you know, some atheistic country, but you know he you know he he wants a prize, right? He 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 wants a country that's rich in the Christian faith. Oh yes, I, I tell people all the time that um, North Korea, Pyongyang, was once called the Jerusalem of the East. Oh. The Jerusalem of the East, uh, China, was loaded with with Methodist missionaries. Mm-hmm. Castro's Cuba. Castro's Cuba was probably the most religious country. Cuba was the most religious country in the Western Hemisphere, other than the United States. Yeah. When Castro took it over in 1959, thoroughly, uh, in, 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 intensely Catholic. Mm-hmm. And, and, and these are the places where the communists went. So it's, um, it's really sad. I feel bad for them. And right now, I mean, there's just no way that the majority of Russian people... And you can't know either way because they can't do opinion polling over there, mm-hmm. and they and and, and and their elections are skewed. They're you know quote unquote presidential elections. Yeah. But but uh, Russian women right now don't want to be sending their boys into in, into into the Ukraine to kill people in Kiev and and you know, uh, 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 Mariupol and these other places. They don't want to do that. They were sitting at home. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys you know, having dinner, watching TV, thinking about going out, out on a date with their girlfriend, mm-hmm. right? You know, they, they don't want to go over there right now and, and kill Ukrainian women and children. This is a sad thing caused by a dictator. And you know, when Joe Biden and Lindsey Graham and others say the problem here comes down to one man, Vladimir Putin, right? That's what caused Lindsey Graham to say he needs to be removed. And in fact, uh, Biden himself said that at the end of his speech in Poland. 
in a kind of off-teleprompter moment that he tried to walk back. But, but they're right in the sense that, that, that this is a one-man problem. This, this is the doing of Vladimir Putin entirely. This is not the Russian people who did this. It's Putin. You know, that, that causes me to think about another thing, too, and that is Putin is now getting older. I, I, do you know how old he is? And I wonder if his mind is working quite the way it used to. Yeah, this is off the top of my head, but I think he was born in 1950 or 52. Okay. So he's, he's around 70. He's in um, really outstanding physical shape, right. at least that we thought, although there were reports about a year ago of um, it looked like his hands were shaking a little bit, hmm. which uh, some people thought could have been an early sign of Parkinson's disease. That That's a disease I know really well. One of my best friends, um, Judge Bill Clark, I was his biographer. He was Reagan's closest aide. He had Parkinson's. Hmm. So I spent a lot of time observing Parkinson's patients, um, not just Bill, but others. And and so I, I don't know if that's true or not. He's keeping it close to the vest, but... But there's no reason to think that 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 he won't live at least another ten or twelve years. Sure, and, sure. And yeah, and and he's reconfigured everything in the modern day Russian constitution to gar- to guarantee himself the presidency of the country to at least twenty thirty, mm-hmm. if not twenty thirty six. And he came in in the year two thousand. <laughs> so this is somebody who'd be in longer than I'd have to do the math on this. Maybe uh, you know Stalin and and you know, Tsar Nicholas II combined before it's all over. Mm. It's um, it, it's it's really it's really uh, a dire prospect. Yeah. Now, um, if I was Putin, I have no idea how the guy thinks, but um, I wouldn't want to give up at this point, even if I have heavy casualties and losses because of my pride. I I. I I assume that Putin has a lot of pride, and and to him, losing is not an option. How does he really feel, I wonder? Yeah, the pride comes before the fall, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, and that's, right, that's the basis of uh, the seven deadly sins. And, yeah. and, and, and this is a man who's definitely filled with pride. Uh, I, he, seemed, he seems to be filled with anger. And, in fact, um, I would even add um, co- covetousness. Yes. Uh, greed, greed, gluttony. Uh, you know, this is a guy you know filled filled with vice, mm-hmm. and you know the you know the, the viciousness. It comes from the Latin word for vice. It's somebody, someone who's vicious. Mm-hmm. Is someone who's filled with vice, and and he clearly is. You know, one of his biographers, Rebecca Koffler, who's a former, formerly did Russia. In fact, she's she's native born Russian. And she did work for the CIA, the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency. And she tells the story about Putin as a young man growing up in this Russian apartment building, kind of like tenement housing during the Soviet era. Hmm. And the place was filled with rats. And, and every day he would watch these rats run up and down the steps. And he started going after the rats to chase them out. And one day he cornered this particularly huge rat, and and the rat lashed out at him, came out after him, and mm-hmm. he ran away. He ran away in fright. And Koffler says, Koffler says that that you can really take this as kind of a metaphor because Putin uh, vowed that he would never run away again. 
right? He would never flee again when backed into a corner. And, you know, he's kind of a cornered rat himself, right, in this situation. And, And I really believe, Dan, that this is somebody who, if cornered and if desperate, and doesn't get what he wants on the ground from his troops and his commanders, which he's not, mm-hmm. that he could do something um, really desperate, like resort to weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. And and if, and if he does that, I mean, that could change everything. That was kind of almost my next question. Um, how likely do you think that is? And the fact that he's getting older, he wants to secure a legacy, whatever that's going to mean for him and his understanding. Um, would he go the route of nukes? I think I think it's highly possible. Yeah, he, he's ruthless. And when you look right now at the targeting of civilians, the killing of civilians, uh, you have the raping that's going on by Russian troops. And uh, by the way, you know, I, I've defended the Russian troops a lot in, in this interview, but but the Russian troops have a horrible history of wartime rapes. Yes. And in fact, they wrote a piece on this for uh, the American Spectator. Just go to spectator.org. Russia's history of wartime rapes. It's astonishing. Uh, it doesn't seem any any group of soldiers ever that has the, the Russian record that, that, that these guys do. In fact, um, it, it, after, right after World War II, in East Berlin, East Germany, they raped about 2 million East German women between the years 1945 and 1946. Mm. So, but, but, to, but to get back to the question, yeah, if, if he doesn't get what he wants and Ukraine continues to succeed, I could see him, the merciless thug that he is, mm-hmm. um, you know, having no mercy. And, and really letting them have it. And, and as it gets worse, this too could bring countries like Poland, which, which shares the largest border with Ukraine. Ukraine is the largest territory, largest territory in all of Europe. Mm-hmm. I mean, only Russia in that area is larger than Ukraine. It's a giant country. And Poland, who has a terrible history with Russia, with people like Vladimir Putin, mm-hmm. they don't want to see a Russian occupied and controlled Ukraine. So if, if, if a country like Poland gets pulled in, and Poland is part of NATO, as are Estonia, Latvia, uh, Lithuania, yes. Slovakia, Slovenia, all these different surrounding countries, if Poland gets pulled in, Article 5 of the NATO Charter says an attack against one is an attack against all. That's what could bring the United States into this conflict, and it really could, quite literally, trigger world war three yes well um that's a rough place to uh, pause hit the pause button <laughs> but we're almost out of time um i wanted to go back to one idea that came up not an idea but a fact basically and that is how quickly we can lose um a good country to evil if we're not vigilant if we're not holding to Christian morals, the Christian faith, uh, love for Christ, uh, very quickly, uh, and it harkens back to what happened with uh, Tsar Nicholas and the subsequent history of Russia. Any words of wisdom for Americans today um, to be more vigilant? Well, and I would add this for pastors, too. I haven't talked about them, but the head of the Russian Orthodox Church 
a man named Carol, K-I-R-I-L-L, uh, was, is also former KGB. And, and he has looked the other way. He has refused to condemn Putin on this stuff. And it's really angered a lot of Orthodox Church leaders yes. throughout the East. They're very upset about it, very upset about it. And, and so I would argue that this man has accommodated and compromised, which, frankly, is something that he became accustomed to doing when he was a church official in the KGB, uh, you know, accommodating different dictators in the 70s and 80s. So, so you know, you know, this is a time when people in the church, in particular, you, you need to stand up for what's right. And, and sometimes it can cost you your life. Yes. If Putin poisons dissidents, right? But, but there have been many, many a martyr to communism in the last 100 years. And I know it's easy for me to sit here in the United States and tell someone like Carol to be a martyr, right? Um, you know, in the comfort of you know, my home in Grove City, Pennsylvania. Yes. But, but, but you know, I'm not necessarily telling him to do that, but, but you've got to stand for what's right. And, and you know, sometimes that means coming forward and saying to somebody like Putin, um, look, son, you claim to be a Christian as well, a faithful member of my church, and uh, you should not be engaging in this kind of aggression no, against no. the peaceful neighbor, right, that declared independence and in 1991 from the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and has not invaded us, has not pro- provoked us. You can't do this. You no. can't do this. So that Amen. requires real leadership. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes uh, God raises up a John the Baptist, and he speaks to the hierarchy, right, right. and then he unfortunately <laughs> loses his head. But still, yeah, good yeah. things happen when the godly speak to the leadership. It is needed. Dr. Paul Kengor has been our guest today, and if someone wants to look you up online, Dr. Kengor, where can they go? Well, thanks, Dan. So I'm a regular columnist for the American Spectators. You could... Uh, Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever your search engine. Uh, <laughs> I use DuckDuckGo. I've abandoned Google. Uh, but look for the American Spectator. And I teach at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. And there I run the Institute for Faith and Freedom. So look us up there and you can find all my writing there as well. Well, I'm a fan of yours from remote. I've never met you in person talked to one of your students yesterday, I think it was, and she had glowing words to say. She works for Heritage, oh. and uh, your students just love you. I can tell you that. Dr. Kangor, oh, thank, you. thank you for joining us today. You got it, Dan. Anytime. Take care. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.